One of my favorite stories comes from Will Williman, who today is a United Methodist bishop, but he used to be the dean of the chapel at Duke University. And Williman said that while he was at Duke, he was in his office one day, the phone rang, and before he even got the receiver up to his ear, he could hear someone yelling on the other end. And the person on the other end of the line, this man said, I hold you personally responsible. Then he went on to say to Williman that his graduate school bound daughter had, in his words, thrown it all away and was going to go do mission work in Haiti with the Presbyterian Church. I guess uh, this man's daughter was becoming sort of a sellout for Jesus and he just wasn't up for that. So he continued to yell at Williman, I hold you personally responsible. She has a degree from Duke and now she's going to go dig ditches. Now hold on a second, said Williman, why is this my fault? And the man said, because you ingratiated yourself with her and got all these religious ideas into her head. Hmm, said Williman, wasn't it you who had her baptized? Yes, said the man. And wasn't it you who took her to Sunday school growing up? Yes, said the man. And wasn't it you, said Williman, who let her go on all of those ski trips with the youth group from church when she was a teenager? Yes, said the man, but I don't see what this has to do with anything. And Williman said, it's all your fault. You introduced her to Jesus, not me. Well, the man sat there for a moment, and then he said, all my wife and I wanted was for her to grow up and be a Presbyterian. <laughs> and Williman said, man, I hate to break it to you, but you've gone and made a disciple. And I love that story. I love that story. And it makes me laugh a little bit. Maybe you too. But I think deep down, most of us can understand where that father was coming from. It's a common thing to think that Christianity is probably best lived in moderation. You know, it's a good thing to go to church. It's a good thing to go to Bible study. Nice to do some service projects, maybe, but... You know, you get beyond just being a Methodist or a Presbyterian or Episcopalian or whatever, and you cross over into this zone where you're doing stuff like digging ditches in Haiti, and then you're, I don't know, a Jesus freak or something. And who wants to be that, right? But here's the thing. I've studied the scriptures a lot. I'm in the Bible every single day. And friends, I can't find a single place in all of Holy Scripture where Jesus calls us to live a life of faith in moderation. Instead, he seems very serious about calling us to be completely sold out for him, to live an uncompromising life of discipleship. But in his defense, Jesus never asked us to do anything that he wouldn't do himself. Did you notice how our text began this morning? It says, as they were going along the road, as they were going along the road, friends, do you know where they were going? They were going to Jerusalem. This takes place near the end of Jesus' life, and he is on his way to the cross. So it is in that context that he runs into these would-be disciples and has these fascinating exchanges with them. This first man says, Jesus, I will follow you anywhere. I will follow you to the ends of the earth. And apparently Jesus sees a lack of commitment in him. 
I can just imagine Jesus saying something to him like, oh, really, and raising one eyebrow. I can't do that, but that's so cool when people can do that. And I figure that Jesus could. So I imagine him raising one eyebrow. But what he says is, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but there is nowhere for the Son of Man to lay his head. In other words, the life of discipleship is not a life of moderation. It is a life of radical grace, and it requires sacrifice. It's not enough to give lip service to discipleship. We have to be willing to live the life. Pastor Tony Evans says that for years, his wife audited classes at the local seminary. Y'all know what it means to audit a class, right? You get to sign up for a college class. You can go sit in your seat every day, and you have your textbook, and you can take notes take in the information, but that's as far as it goes. There's no responsibility outside of the class to do anything. You don't have any tests. You don't have any projects. You just go and you sit and you receive, and then that's it. Evans goes on to say that there are many Christians who come to church each week and audit the sermon. They come in, and they sit, and they listen, and they have their textbook, the Bible in hand, and maybe they even take notes, but that's as far as it goes. After that, then, they just go to lunch, you know, beat the Baptist to Chili's or whatever. (laughs) But friends, I'm afraid that uh, we as a church sometimes don't do a very good job of explaining to people that discipleship involves a lot more than auditing the sermon or consuming religious goods and services. I have a dear friend, a colleague in ministry, who I'll just be up front and tell you is sort of a smarty pants. He is. He's a pastor, but he's a little bit of a smarty pants. I love him, but he would own it that that's sort of his bend. He told me once that uh, he was at a, a pastor's coffee. This was an event that his church held periodically, so people who were visiting the congregation could come and talk to the minister, get to know him, and uh, hear about the church and decide if they wanted to join. So my friend was at one of these pastor's coffees, and he got to talking to a young couple who told him that they had visited his church a couple of times, and they were trying to decide whether they wanted to join, but they were still church shopping. That's the phrase they use. They were still church shopping. So they wondered if my friend could tell them, you know, what his church had to offer in order to entice them to become members. What you got, you know? Do you you have sports ministry? Do you have a coffee bar? Do you have a bookstore? Do you have a preschool? What you got? And my friend said that... um, He sat there for a moment and listened to this and then said, uh, oh, you will love our church. If you join us, we'll give you a cross to bear. He didn't say whether they came back the next Sunday to worship or not. (laughs) But friends, the reality is that discipleship is not about moderation. If we want to live that way, well, then that's not really what Jesus is interested in. And he's also not interested in those who wish to live lives of dual allegiance. He asks us for more than that. He covers that in the next part of the text. When he talks to the next two men on the road who both tell him they want to follow him, but first they've got to go do something else, right? 
So the first guy says, oh, Jesus, I will follow you, but first, I need to go bury my father. And Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. And then the second man says, Jesus, I will follow you, but first I need to go home and say goodbye to my family. And Jesus says, anyone who puts their hand to the plow and looks back is not fit for the kingdom of God. Ouch. That is really uncompromising, isn't it? It's very uncompromising. But I can't find any wiggle room there. Jesus is really asking us to be a sellout for him. Perhaps it helps to remember that the one who is saying this is the one who has set his face to go to Jerusalem, and he will follow an uncompromising path there. He will go to the cross for us. He's dedicated to us. He asks us to be dedicated to him and put him first. And friends, this whole uncompromising thing, putting Jesus as our first priority, being a sellout for him, I think that is the most difficult part of discipleship for most of us. I know it is for me. Because I have a lot of days, and maybe you feel like this too, where I just want to live my life the way I see fit. You know, I think I have a good idea about what a good life is, and I just want to live it. I want to think what I want to think and say what I want to say and do what I want to do, and then I would like to just sprinkle a little Jesus on the top like seasoning and have it be okay. (sighs) Sound familiar at all? But Jesus just isn't up for that. He calls us to put him first. And this is so hard for us. It's, I think, always been hard for human beings to put God first. And then when Jesus came along and called us to a a kind of radical discipleship, I know he saw it in those who wanted to follow him all the time that it was so hard. Do you remember the story of the rich young man from Matthew chapter 19? That is one of my favorite stories in all of the Gospels, and I'll tell you why. It is so powerful, and it is so challenging Jesus really pushes our buttons with that story, and it's written so beautifully. It is so succinct in its power. The story goes like this. A young, wealthy man comes up to Jesus and says, Teacher, what good deed must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, in essence, Have you been following the commandments? And the young man says, yes, I've I've been following all the commandments. I'm good. And then Jesus says, well then, go, sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and then come, follow me. And here's the great sentence, I think. The writer just says, the young man went away grieving because he had many possessions. That says it all, doesn't it? The young man went away grieving because he had many possessions. He wanted to follow Jesus. He thought he did. He said he did. But when it turned out that following Jesus meant he was really going to have to change, 
He was going to have to sell out for Christ. He was going to have to move Jesus to the top of the priority list and shift down the possessions he found that he just could not do it. You know, friends, I'm afraid that many of us think of the most powerful conversion stories as being about those where, I don't know, a bad person stops doing bad things because of Jesus. Do you know what I mean? So we hear these stories about, I don't know, someone who is a drug dealer, and then they came into a relationship with Christ and they stopped selling drugs. Or a person was a gang member and they came into a relationship with Jesus and they became nonviolent. Or a person was a thief and then they came into a relationship with Christ and they never stole anything ever again. But the older I get, the more I'm becoming convinced that the most powerful conversion stories are really about ordinary people like you and me who wake up one day and realize that discipleship is not about moderation and that Jesus really does call us to be a sellout and to put him first. It's so inspiring to me when regular folk really do put Jesus up here on the priority list and ratchet everything else down to the bottom. I know that's hard. How do we do it? Well, I look to the text and I see the imagery there about putting my hand to the plow and I think, I have absolutely no idea how to do that. I don't know how to plow a field. I couldn't plow a straight line if my life depended on it. However, I do know how to march in a straight line because I was in marching band in high school. I played the flute in the Richardson High School Golden Eagle Band, and my director there taught us how to march in a straight line like this. He said, focus on a fixed point in the distance, and do not move your eyes from that point, and then just move toward it. Because if you look to the right, you're gonna drift to the right. And if you look to the left, you're going to drift to the left. And if you look behind you, you're going to walk in a circle. But if you focus on that one point and you never waver, you will walk a straight line every single time. Friends, I think that's a pretty good analogy for the way we're called to live the Christian life. Jesus calls us to focus on him and to keep our eyes on him and to keep moving towards him and his kingdom and, and not to be distracted to the left or to the right, not to be distracted by the things of this world or what we really think would be great to do. He calls us to put him first like that and to just keep moving in his direction throughout our lives. One scholar calls this kind of life a long obedience in the same direction. I think you could also just call it being a complete and total sellout for Christ. I know it's hard. It's a challenge for all of us to live a life of radical grace and even sacrifice. But the one who calls us to this uncompromising life is the one who turned his face to Jerusalem and walked an uncompromising path to the cross. And on the cross, he reconciled us to God. There is no doubting 
Jesus' dedication and love and commitment to us. The only question out there is the strength of our commitment to him. Will you pray with me? Most loving God, we give you thanks. For by your grace, you call us to a life of true discipleship, which is not lived in moderation, but instead involves putting our whole self in, following Jesus wherever he may lead, even if that involves sacrifice. Lord, give us the strength and the wisdom and the courage to be sellouts for the one who gave his life for us. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Our invitation to Christian discipleship this week, friends, is to jump into your life of faith with both feet. Sometimes it's really hard to be a follower of Jesus, that he's with us all the way. He loves us more than anything, and by his grace, we can follow wherever he may lead. The invitation is also made, if you'd like to join our church, I invite you to come forward as we sing our final hymn together. It's number 407, Close to Thee, a good old Fanny Crosby hymn. Will you stand and let's sing?